Hi, this is Kathleen Mercury with another episode of Games in Schools and Libraries. I'm really excited today to be speaking with Dr. Dave Eng. He is a higher education consultant in New York, and he describes himself as an intellectual and creative educator, designer, and researcher who combines games theory and technology to define next practice. Dr. Eng, thank you for being on the show. Kathleen, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So your um, biography has a whole lot of different things in there, educator, designer, researcher, you know, and combining games theory and technology to define next practice. Can you explain um, more in depth about what this means to you? Sure. So uh, I'll give you some of my background in higher education. So I originally worked in uh, student affairs uh, in higher ed- in the um, academic landscape. So what that is is student affairs professionals are all those people that work in like student activities, um, student engagement, uh, community engagement, residential mm-hmm. life, athletics. So these are all the people. I like to tell parents when I had them for orientation that uh, in student affairs, we are everyone who is not in the classroom. So mm-hmm. we are the um, campus safety officers. We are your coaches. We are your career advisors, sometimes academic advisors, uh, et cetera. So um, my experience in student affairs was one that's very much educative but supportive you know we are not we are not the faculty in the classroom but we are the people that are going to be able to help you articulate your experience as a student outside the classroom Uh so in my realm it was mostly in student organizations and student activities so what i discovered was that hey one there's modern board games that isn't scrabble monopoly clue and everything else and two you can use those board games to reach these learning outcomes so one of the very first ones I used for my staff, so I managed new student orientation. I often had a staff of between, I'd say, like 10 and 20 orientation leaders. And we always ran this training every year. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I discovered Pandemic, played, it, played out that game as much as possible. And I said, can we make this Pandemic game? something that our orientation team can do. And I found out, yeah, you can. When you take the board and you make it uh, 20 feet long by 15 feet high and you make the pawns huge pieces. So essentially what I did with my students is we played Pandemic in teams on this gigantic board. And every time I've used games for learning, which is called games-based learning, I've always just told students, I don't really care whether or not you win or lose at this game. That's beside the point. Really what I'm looking for is how well you work with each other and how will you accomplish this cooperative goal of making sure that everyone stays alive by completing uh-huh. this game of pandemic? So for me, running into student affairs was kind of like an accident. I did not mean to be in this field. And two, uh, running into games was kind of an accident because I always played computer console games in the past, but I never really played a lot of tabletop games. It was always one of those things where if it's around, I'll play, but I didn't really go out on my way to play it. So now after completing... Um, my doctoral program, I decided, hey, I'm going to use games for that. I did a study using um, board games for this games-based learning, and I, f- I find myself where I am today, which is consulting with other colleges and colleagues on how to use games-based learning for their practice. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I mean, because especially when you're looking at games, you know, games are humans making different choices about how they, you know, choose to interact with each other and interact with the world around them. And from what you're talking about from student services, you know, the college experience, you know, <laughs> for some especially, going to classes may be a very small part of that experience, obviously, exactly. for some others. Yep. That would be flipped. But I think that's one of the reasons why I was sort of, when I was thinking about today's conversation, thinking about it as gamification as a teaching mindset, because you didn't approach gaming in education through, like, the way I do, like a pure game design kind of way. You're looking at how games 
can you know enhance the experience that people have in interaction how games can help people learn from each other in terms of that interaction and i think that's really interesting because i was um when i was listening to some of the other podcasts that you had sent me and i was talking about um using games as ways for students to learn how to interact with each other like for example mm -hmm. quarterbacking you know mm -hmm. in co-op games like pandemic you talked about mm -hmm. that yeah, uh, that is definitely one of those challenges working with cooperative games. And I found that out playing a lot of Pandemic and then a lot of um, Codenames. Codenames was one of those games that I, I tended to use a lot with my students, specifically when I taught um, specifically when I taught public speaking and communications. So one of the um, one of the issues I tried to address here is, okay, you know, like, um, let's say Aiden knows a lot about Pandemic. He's played it a bunch, and he wants to be that person. He wants to be that quarterback. Well, then I, I, I change the circumstances. I put him into a position where he cannot quarterback. So he may be someone who I then would uh, designate as, like, the game master or the referee or something mm -hmm. else, specifically because when I'm looking to use game-based learning, I don't want people to necessarily rely on their strengths in the game. If anything, I want them to stretch a little bit and do something that is a little bit outside of their comfort zone. And sometimes that just means that you need to take a back seat because if you've ever played... Um, uh, you know, like House on Haunted Hill or any other, like Battlestar Galactica or any other um, type of social deduction games, there's all, often going to be that one person that just says, you know, like, we this is what we got to do. You know, this mm -hmm. also happened in Flashpoint Fire Rescue where, you know, like quarterbacking is the thing. If you can see the moves of everyone else, you can calculate those moves out in, in advance. But again, I always tell students, I don't really care whether or not you win or lose this game. What I'm really looking for is this game is a vehicle to explore how you communicate and cooperate with other people. Mm -hmm. Yes, I could do this any other way. Like we could go to a ropes course, we could do some experiential activities, but we're not. We're playing this game right now, and this is the specific outcome that I'm looking for. And then the most important part, part about that experience is that afterwards, I do ask them, what was this experience like for you? What did you learn? And how do you think you can apply what you've learned here to X, Y, or Z? You know, becoming a career ambassador, becoming an orientation leader, or doing what, whatever, whatever else you want. But what I like about games-based learning is that it's flexible to be able to do what you want it to do. Yeah. Um, well, let's segue into what this would look like in the classroom, especially for teachers. Mm -hmm. Because some of the things that I thought were really especially interesting and something... Um, let's just talk about gamification in general. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, kind of, it's an idea. It's almost become like a, a buzzword that people throw around. Mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes people misunderstand it. They misapply it um, in terms of their classes and what it means. So when you think of gamifications, gamification, what are the key ideas or mindsets that teachers can apply if gamifying an entire curriculum or class is infeasible? So first um, talk about what gamification is and then what do you think are the things that teachers could really take from that um, and bring back to their own classrooms to enhance the student experience? Sure. So gamification uh, as a whole is best defined as using game-like elements in non-game scenarios. So some of the best examples I always like to use are, think about a Fitbit where your, uh, your steps are being documented. It kind of gives you that reinforcement that you are you, you can see the, the more steps you take throughout the day, it registers in your tracker. Anytime you've ever gotten rewards miles for using a credit card or anything else. But these are quote-unquote game structures used in non-game scenarios. And I would really recommend that teachers and educators as a whole use gamification in a very specific and significant way. So one of the ways that I gamified a class 
going back to my public speaking class was I was trying to give students better agency and autonomy on how to make decisions. Because one of the best parts about games are that they are set up in such a way so that you do have the autonomy to make a decision. I mean, you can use an example like tic-tac-toe. If you are the first player to move, you have nine options for where you can place your, your marker. And then as the game goes on, those options get more and more limited, but that is a structure of the game that we have designed. So what I've done with my students in the past is I have flipped the grading scale. Um, so I'm going to use this as a, a higher ed example because that's where I have most of my um, mm-hmm. m- most of my experience. I told my students that uh, in the past, this class was graded on a 100-point scale, whereas if you did everything completely perfectly without any mistakes you would earn an a by getting 100 points but really what i told them was this is really me judging you based on the on the least amount of mistakes you make whereas in this class i kind of want you to mistake make mistakes because i feel like the mistakes are a way that you learn best in this class so i told them what i'm going to do is everyone's going to start out with a zero which kind of got a gasp from the from the class and i told them everyone's going to start out with a zero but as you complete different assignments and as you come to class and as you complete different speeches you're going to receive those points those points at the end of the semester are going to be able to be translated into a grade. So what I did was I flipped it. Everyone started out at zero, and they could build up to a different point value. Now, what I did to make it so that students had agency was I told them, in order to get an A, you need 100 points. But if you were to ace everything in this class, to do everything completely um, uh, completely excellently and, and did not make any mistakes, there's 250 points out there. So now I've given them the option. You can do this. You can do three of these and two of those or two of these and three of those. You can um, do three cl- do three speeches on persuasion or you can do something else. But I really I put the ball in their court for how they want to achieve these different learning outcomes by making it so that they didn't have to do set assignments and then have to ace all those assignments in order to get an A. I made it so that it's a, a grade based on iteration and them gaining points rather than them mm-hmm. not making mistakes and losing points. Well, and I... I really appreciate this because, you know, in talking about assessment, I think especially it's probably one of the most direct ways people try to employ gamification ideas in their classrooms in terms of, you know, kids earning points equals kids earning XP. When they have so many points, they would get, you know, such and such grade. When they have so much XP, they can unlock certain things. And the thing that I'm sort of struggling with in my own game design class is I feel like my ultimate scoring rubric for their game final project for the prototype and for the rules there's a mismatch between all the things i want to be emphasizing in terms of learning from mistakes iterating their work taking risks you know recognizing that their work can get better to me success in the class is not you've got a perfect game that works because they're not going to have that anyway but can they articulate improvement can they show how they took on different ideas to see if they worked, if they took those types of risks. But then my final rubric is more objective in terms of, you know, are the rules clear? Are the rules consistent? And I really don't emphasize those things. And I think part of the problem that I have sometimes with students maybe leaving my room thinking that it's not as successful as it could be is because of that mismatch. And so the thing that I've been struggling with is how I can improve my grading system, my assessment system of my students, so it really measures what I want it to measure, but also so that it communicates effectively to students that I think they really are successful. 
Yeah, it's it is often difficult with um, with structures in classrooms where you've given students a lot of different agency. But I, I, the thing I would say with assessment is specifically if you're doing something with game design that I've done um, with. Uh, pretty young students in the past is first we start off and we set the structure for how they're going to evaluate their own work so mm-hmm. i specifically ask them you know like what is a game that you really like and why do you like it and, you know kind of tr- trying to take them through a walk on like a critical examination of something in particular uh, and then based off of that we we look at what they've designed so far so we first start off with the um the main dynamic like what is this game is it um, highly competitive? Is it cooperative? It is, is it semi-cooperative? Like, what is, what is the outcome you have here? I have them write a treatment, basically. Like, what are the top three things about this game? And can you articulate them in, like, a couple questions, uh, like, a couple sentences? Like, I like this game because it plays fast, or I like this game because um, I can take, uh, the, there's synergies, you know, like, I can develop things where I can do multiple things later on, or I like this game because it's an engine builder, and I, as the game progressively goes on, I can do more and more and more. And then after they, we look at a game that they like and we examine something that they, um, what makes it a game that they really like, we then look at their game. So we ask them, um, you know, like based on your treatment, based on these things that you think are most important for your game, how do you think it is doing so far? And like, would you consider this a game that plays quickly? Would you consider this a game that is like an engine builder where you can do progressively more and more and more? And if the answer is yes, I say, okay, how can we make that even more so? How can we make this a game that we're, that ramps up even faster? How or if it's if the answer is no, and we can, I, I ask them, you know, wh- why isn't that so? Why doesn't this game ramp up fast? What is what is stalling it? What do you think we could change? And then once we make that change, we play through it again. It's just iteration, and I think that's one of the hallmarks of good game design, which is how many times can you iterate on it, and how many times can you really um, pass it through playtesters and yourself and see what mm-hmm. changes, you, changes you can make because I think at the end of the day no matter what kind of game you're making so if it's a console game, app, or tabletop game or anything else you're designing an experience for someone and you as a designer are going to set the structure for how they have that experience but the experience itself is really in the hands of the players, they will create their own experience, the best that you can do is set up the scaffolding for them to to enjoy this this game that you've constructed for them and and i think um i mean that's the thing because that's why i always say that teachers are game designers because that's what we do yeah, you know even yeah. if um even well, i mean you know something's if they're just straightforward you know like listen to this phil answer the questions that's not so much but you know if you're designing your lessons like on your own using you know considerable number of options in terms of resources and what the students can do and how you put all that together afterwards that reflective process what worked or didn't work retweaking it you know that sort of design process for instructional design is very very similar to game design Mm -hmm. and so when teachers you know say oh i've got this idea for a game you know how do i get started well the same way that you get started with you know something that you're designing like open up a document get out a piece of paper start writing down ideas start you know just what would this look like you know that whole process and i think um that's why teachers are really good game designers because we're also you know reflective and really think about what didn't work and the and and how students respond to it Mm -hmm. um because you know if your students aren't responding to it then it's not successful and you need to you know and I, i would even add the fact that um, unlike a game, well, I mean, like a game too, and this this coincides with uh, curriculum design and instructional design, is in a game, a, uh, a player is constantly going to ask themselves, even though we don't know it, why should I keep playing right now? 
Like, mm-hmm. what is the answer here? Like, should I keep playing because I want to see what happens next? Should I keep playing because I think I could come back for the win? Should I keep playing because I'm about to win? In a class, you also have to think the same thing. And I think that this is important to consider at all levels of education. Whereas if you're in a class, like physically located class, why am I, why should I continue to sit in this classroom listening to this content, watching this content, or doing something else? And specifically, when I help professors right now taking their face-to-face classes and putting it online, I asked them the same question. I said, okay, this content is going to be asynchronous. Students are going to read it. They're going to watch the videos and they're going to respond via discussion board, um, not in real time. So we just give them a, a due date at the end of the week. But students are going to keep constantly asking themselves, you know, why, why am I doing this? Why is this important for me? So one of the tactics that I've used is not only outlining what is the learning outcome for the class, but what is the learning outcome for this week? And what is the learning outcome for this specific activity? And really articulating that, not just saying, hey, you know, watch these watch this TED Talk because it's good. We'll say, watch this TED Talk. The speaker here has really intimate knowledge about the 2008 financial collapse, something that other textbooks and other sources of information don't necessarily have. I realize that the video is 20 minutes long, but it provides something you can't get anywhere else. Now, with that mapped to a learning outcome for that week, which is understanding a national financial structure, students have a reason to want to watch this because it'll help them with the discussion board question later or possibly help them with their final project. So it's incredibly important to keep asking your students and your players, why should I continue doing what I'm doing right now? Mm-hmm. Well, in keeping with this, you know, and like the idea of like, if gamification is a sort of mindset that you can have in terms of how you approach your classes, in terms of um, what you do with your classes to boost student engagement, to clarify learning outcomes. Do you have any other suggestions that you think are like are things that you've heard of other people doing that you think are interesting as it relates to gamifying what they're doing? Uh, I think one of the m- most interesting things that's coming about right now, but has been around for a while, is really the use of simulations. Now, I, I remember in high school, I had I took like um, I think macroeconomics or something. We played the stock market game. Stock market game is on its face a game because it is um, an artificial structure with artificial challenges that gives students the agency in order to make interesting decisions. Um, but really, like at the time in high school, it was very limited to economics because what other simulations could you put together? Now, with different classes that I've been working on, there are tons of different interactive activities that you can think of. And I often tell this to professors and, and, um, and other teachers, you know, like you, you have options to gamify your class. You have options to use game-based learning. I'm not asking you to completely flip around your curriculum because that would be asking for way too much. Integrate what you think would work best for your class over a, um, a series of time or just add little um, small discrete elements. And I think one of them is just finding interesting um interactive activities like one class i was helping with was uh it was um to help uh, graduates in a in a master's of psychology program interview for different jobs i was like okay well i've done a lot of work like that in student affairs uh but one of the interactive activities that the uh that the faculty member came up with was there's this simulation which is basically this um this avatar online that kind of sounds like siri and she will ask you behavioral interview questions, and then you can either type responses or you can talk directly back at the screen. At its face, it's a pretty, you know, like not fleshed out experience, and it's not a, a simulation that I would consider highly, highly polished. 
But for those students that have never done a lot of face-to-face interviews or really have, are very anxious about doing face-to-face interviews, sometimes talking to an avatar that sounds like Siri on your computer screen is the first step in that direction. Hmm. At its face, would I call it a gamified experience? Not entirely, but it's an activity that can be integrated into a gamified classroom. It's interesting. I'm going to be uh, presenting it uh, at NASAGA, the North American Gaming and Simulation Association. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in, a, in a few months, and I'll be running this espionage simulation that I've mm-hmm. done with my students. But it's interesting because when, I, when I've done this with students, like I know exactly how many students I have, I know exactly what our building is laid out, so that when I run this simulation, I can give them all unique roles crafted to them, and then I now know how all those different pieces come together. But the challenge that I'm facing with this is I don't know how many people I will have. Um, so I can't have unique roles that are built only on having a certain number. Um, I don't know the layout of where I'm going to be. So I don't know where I could make hiding places or dead drops or whatever. So mm-hmm. in order to run this simulation, I basically have to completely redesign it. And I'm excited about that because you know I'm pushing myself to consider you know, more options in terms of outcomes, more options in terms of player choices and agency. I mean, obviously adults are going to be very different than my seventh graders. Um, So it's really interesting, like what simulations can do, because you really have to think about what are the elements that you have to control? What are the things that you can't control? And is there (laughs) any way that you could make them come together in the end in a meaningful way? And, um, it's a whole other sort of approach to like what I've been doing, but it's a really fun challenge to have. And it's a way to, you know, sort of push myself forward. Yeah. Um, and you also have to ask yourself, how does this simulation help these mm-hmm. students reach this learning outcome? Cause I, I think something that I'm exploring right now that I find is fun and uh, developing is the use of mega games. Have you ever mm-hmm. played or used the mega game before? Or been I'm sorry? In, have you ever been in a mega game or played a mega game before? I have not. I have. Right. You mean like a large-scale version of a game or a game with a significant number of people? No, it's a, it's, it is interesting because it is a essentially a large... It is a game designed for large people. Like um, the one I played, the the first one I ever played, I was actually the, like a, a controller for, so kind of like a referee. We have, we had about fifty people, but it can be upwards of two hundred to three hundred plus people. Mm-hmm. And the way it works out is um, is everyone is basically on a team, and that team it has distributed players that go do different game mechanics in this game. So the one I did was we're in the future. Uh, it's called Future Tense. We're in the future, and um, you're on a team, and some people on your team are like the general. Some people on your team is a diplomat. Some uh, person on your team is the um, the broker or something else, mm-hmm. and you go to these different tables. Like the general goes to the map room. The broker goes to the stock market. The diplomat goes to the, the high table, the council. And at these different locations, you're each playing an individual game. You like the, um, the map room is very much like risk. It's area control. The stock, um, the, the market is very much like a... Um, like, uh, a brokerage where you're trying to buy commodities that you want cheap so you could sell them high and then the diplomat role is um, very much negotiation so these are all different game mechanics that we've seen in tabletop games but the way it's broken out is that what happens in the map room affects what happens in the stock market affects what happens at the high table so um, the reason why there are so many locations is because a team could encompass dozens of people and you really kind of have to work together in order to accomplish 
um, this this big goal. I, I like to tell people it's kind of like a combination of um, a, a tabletop game with like Model UN or mm-hmm. something because there are very right. these very big like global changes that are really cool. And I I did not know like this this format existed, but now I'm like highly intrigued and I just kind of want to learn more about it. So that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, well, pass along uh, what you come up because that's what I'll have to. I, I think what I'll, what's most likely realistic in terms for me to do this is I'm going to have to look at other models in terms of um, how to incorporate this. I mean, at, at most, I should have 50 to 60 people mm-hmm. in my session, not 200, thank goodness. But you know, it does really make you think about, um, you know, like you said, the learning outcomes, all mm-hmm. the different, you know, sort of tools at my disposal. Mm-hmm. What do I want to get out of this? Because when we have our students do this, we've been studying espionage, the, all the different ways people share information. There's a lot of, you know, cryptology involved with it in terms of getting codes, recognizing the right type of ways we've encrypted information, um, employing techniques that they've learned, but then also we throw ones that they haven't seen before to see if they can figure out what the pattern is. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we had one student one time, uh, we gave them this one particular method of encryption. It wasn't particularly difficult, but we didn't, it was something they hadn't seen before. And we had a student go home and she was a brilliant kid and she figured out the pattern and she figured out on her own how it was encrypted. And that was like so incredible to see because we, everybody was just like, oh my gosh. And we were like, oh my gosh, you know, she's <laughs> like, well, it's really hard. But you did it, you know. Yeah. Oh my gosh, amazing, amazing, yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's what thing is. Uh, so something like this, I think too, like especially for teachers, and I think this is what's cool. I think about you and what you're doing. You know, your career has taken a number of different pathways. I mean, at one point you were working with Semester at Sea, so you've mm-hmm. gone in all kinds of different directions in your career um, that we haven't tapped into. But the thing is, is but now you're evolving into this, you know, consultant as far as going into um, higher, you know, consulting as far as instructional design, um, game design. Um, but I want to talk about that a little bit. One, about like the future of gamification and mm-hmm. where you see yourself fitting into this. Because I think, you know, again, like wanting to kind of, build out this world of gaming gamification the inter- the intersection of all these different things coming together where do you see this going and how are you trying to make this happen so uh, i think what i've boiled all of this down to is that games are really a new well not a new but they are um they're a form of experience and um one, the, the the website i'm trying to start up is called university xp because my theoretical framework for my dissertation was um experiential learning which is learning through experience so for me games are that experience i mean this interview is an experience a classroom is an experience a trip is an experience and Mm -hmm. what we make of that experience is really what informs our learning so for me my philosophy is that this experience this process that we're going through is really the formative stages for how we learn develop and grow as humans so my next stages are that i um you can tell experience is a very strong cornerstone of my practice and something that I, I really want to incorporate. And I, at the very beginning, before we, we started the interview, I told you I was um, entertaining a client who uh, is a museum and they're looking to create a playful design, a playful experience. And that's not necessarily a game because a playful experience could be a game or it could be something else. But, well, I think the main component here is that we are trying to design an experience together. And I asked them, similar to uh, I, when I work with faculty, what are the learning outcomes? Is I asked them, what do you want people to feel like when they're at this museum? Do you want them to feel enthralled, um, 
perceptive? Do you want them to feel like this is a fun time, like they want to stay? Um, do you want them to feel like explorers or something else? But I asked them, you know, like what what do you hope to gain, and how can we work together in order to create this playful experience where where people will leave with that specific feeling? So for me, it's really examining the experiences of others and how we create and curate those experiences in multiple different formats. And I just like to for- to focus on games because I think they're really fun. When did you start, when did you get into games? Uh, if you want to go from the very beginning, I guess when I was like two or three years old. Well, I mean like modern <laughs> gaming. Like when did you discover My- Pandemic? How many years oh, ago okay. was that? About? So that for me, it was probably in 2000, let's see, I got back from semester at C2011. Um, so it, it was probably around that time. I got invited to um, some friends of friends who -hmm. lived in Manhattan and they were like yeah you know we get together for a game night do you want to join us and I said sure I mean I don't have anything else going on I'm looking for for work but I need to take a break somewhere and they invited me over and I think I remember the first modern board game I played or one of the first modern board games was Last Night on Earth Mm -hmm. have you played that game with the zombies and I think you're at a carnival and I'm like I have no idea what's going on because I haven't (laughs) seen any of this before like what is this like um, you know, this grid movement and then roll for combat and you have like things in your inventory. I'm like, this sounds like a really slow um, Diablo application because I like that was my only experience. Like I had played Diablo, like online RPGs. And I'm like, this is just it, but it's on a table. And I was like, OK, well, I mean, that, that was kind of weird, but um, I don't hate it. So then I, uh, I kept going there and I kept learning more and more about different tabletop games. And I learned that um, uh, my cousin was also in the tabletop tabletop games he'd also played tabletop games with me since we were very young and mm-hmm. we had um he just never stopped i stopped and he just kept buying and collecting he told me about kickstarter which is a huge mistake for me because like every hour i'm on kickstarter saying like what's new what's new i need right. to get the new hotness right now so i'd say around 2011 is where i really got into like modern tabletop games mm-hmm. and then when i started my doctoral program i said you know i want to f- i want to focus on games but i am not a programmer I am not going to create an app. I'm not going to create a my own board game. I'm not going to create my own game. Can I use something that's that is not digital? And tabletop games happen to be a great fit, and that's where I've been ever since. My first game that I ever played, my first modern board game was Pandemic. Yeah, which you know you talked a lot about, and mm-hmm. uh, and it's just so interesting to me too that you know for both of us, you know we got into games through various means, and now how much that's like absolutely changed our lives from mm-hmm. like the path that we were on to the path that you know we're on now and um, I just love that you know sort of transformative aspect to gaming too you know I mean because even like in my classroom in general it's like well you know I just I, I want everything to be fun I was I showed my students uh, I have one of my classes during filmmaking and we watched this TED talk by Andrew Stanton who was with Pixar and mm-hmm. talks about how like every character has a spine you know, um, Merlin, Marlin from Finding Nemo is to prevent harm. Woody is to, uh, you know, protect his human, you know. And so, you know, when I was thinking about this as I was watching, like, my spine is, like, you know, create opportunities for fun, you know. Mm-hmm. So that if I can, you know, there's always, like, the learning that you can do, but then there's how you can turn things into games and the outcome can be the same, but... You know, it's such a different experience in terms of how you relate to it, in terms of how your students, it's a lot harder, it's a lot riskier, but, you know, when you can gamify something well, you know, and you just get this whole other level of buying and engagement that are harder to do when things are just presented in a very straightforward, informative, content-based sort of way. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think being grounded and making sure that you have that specific element that's not only important for what you're designing, but what's important for you is incredibly important. Um, and I th- that was really interesting what you said about um, Toy Story. And I don't think I've seen that TED Talk before, but I remember seeing a YouTube video where um, they were just interviewing people about Star Wars characters, and they were asking them, you know, like, how can you describe, how would you des- describe Han Solo without like any physical characteristics? Like, well, what would you say about that character? And they would say, like, you know, he's a rogue. He doesn't answer to anyone. You know, he's kind of like a cowboy in space. And then they mm-hmm. did the same thing for like Luke Skywalker. You know, like, he's a kid. He's got a lot of gumption. He wants to prove himself. Princess Leia is just like this monarch that is, um, you know, like she's very hands on. She's going to mm-hmm. do it for herself. And then they asked them, do the same thing, but with the um, the prequel trilogy of Star Wars. And they're like, do George R. Binks. And they're like, I. I, I can't think of a way to describe him that doesn't describe him physically, and I think that was one of those, those kind of flaws with the um, with the prequels, where that these were these were characters on screen, but they had no soul. Mm-hmm. You know, like Woody as a character from Toy Story. Like I understand his motivation. I understand why he does the things that he does, and I think that's also part of good game design when mechanics and themes work out really well. Like in going back to pandemic yeah these are a bunch of yellow cubes but they also represent like the spread of this disease that's stuck in you know myanmar and you know once there's three yellow cubes those yellow cubes then uh create a cascading failure that breaks out of southeast asia and that's how you see you viscerally see on the board like this disease spreading and those cubes may only be plastic cubes but in the game they mean so much because they represent something that you as a player have to control yeah. Well, and I think bringing it back around too, you know, like each of us have teachers, whatever level we're at, you know, there's something that sort of drives us in terms of what we do. And I think when it comes to gamifying your class, ap- applying gamification sort of mindsets to it, you know, you have to do what feels right to you. And I think for some, um, you know, like class craft. One of our uh, seventh grade social studies teachers is he's going to run with it and he wants to apply it and he's excited about it um, and he wants to put that whole um, structure on his classes, whereas others have sort of dabbled in, you know, more or less better incentive stu- systems for students to do extra work or, you know, bonus work or something like that, you know. So mm-hmm. I think it can vary and I think what it, at the end of the day, you know, when people are employing whatever methods they want to do, it's something that has to work for you. You know, I think sometimes people feel like I need to fix everything. I need to change everything. I need to overhaul everything. Mm-hmm. And that's really, really hard to do all at once when the school year's going. You oh, know? Yeah, so definitely. sometimes just picking those things that work for you that you can, you know, play around with, experiment with, and that could maybe lead to other bigger, better things is probably a good um, piece of it. my advice. Mm-hmm. in terms of starting do you have any other advice you throw out there you, you don't just do it piecemeal no i yeah. never ask anyone to completely gamify a class or ask anyone to completely you know uh, turn their curriculum upside down so they could use game-based learning i just say uh listen to what i've had to say um talk to some other people that i've talked to read some books that i've read and see what works for you because really at the ultimate uh, at the end of the day you're the one who's in charge of creating this experience for your students or creating this experience for whoever you intend to consume it and while you set up the structure for how they should interact with that experience um you really kind of have to leave it in your consumer's hands for how they'll shape that experience for themselves so i always tell people you do it at a level that you're comfortable with and you do it at a level that you understand and you feel you feel good about 
Well, I think that's the perfect place to end it. I think we've, uh, I think that pretty much sums up what we're trying to do. So, yeah, yeah. um, thank you so much. Um, Dave, where can people find you to, uh, reach out more to connect with you, um, hire your services as a consultant? Sure. Uh, so my website is www.daveangdesign.com. That's D-A-V-E-N-G design.com. So that's Dave Ang with one E. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. That's at Dave Ang Design. Again, only with one E. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn as just Dave Ang. So search for me there. Um, and I look forward to connecting with you. Right. And one thing I have to say when I was uh, looking at your website, you know, there's all the different little bubbles in terms of ways they can connect with you. But the one that really stood out to me was IMDb. And I was yeah. like, what? Is he some famous movie star? What's <laughs> happening? So t- so I think that's worth mentioning. So Okay. What- so uh, my, uh, my friend, uh, Charlie Todd, runs a group called Improv Everywhere out of New York City. Mm-hmm. And um, he does a lot of the best way I can describe it is public pranks. Um, yes. They call it, um, uh, it's improv everywhere. And uh, I, I think some of the videos, I'm in a bunch of videos, but one of my favorite ones was, we did one where it was um, a surprise press conference. And we went to the New York Public Library and we set up a podium with like a bunch of microphone trees. Have you ever seen those like yes, on, like, yes, on yes. news where it's just a bunch of microphones from different networks? And we put two flags behind it, a New York State flag and American flag, and we just left it out there in the open. And then a bunch of us were dressed as reporters and we were hidden like in the crowd, like on benches, waiting for a bus or something else. And then as soon as anyone walked up to the podium and just stood behind it to take a picture, um, we had another... Uh, another actor that would stand that would come and stand behind them wearing like um, a black suit and sunglasses and an earpiece to serve as their security we had another person that ran up in a suit that was like their chief of staff that would help mm-hmm. field questions and us we would just like pummel this person with questions but they weren't like hard questions like one of my favorite ones was um, one of my favorite ones was uh, um, your Netflix queue indicates that you're really pursuing rom-coms can you can you comment on that or something? And another person was, um, um, you had pizza Tuesday, you had pizza Wednesday. What is it going to be for Thursday? Are you going to change it up? And uh, so we funny. just asked them all these questions. It was just so fun because some of them were like tourists and they had no idea what was going on. And a lot of them just rolled with it and they were just improvising. And like yeah. our mission is really is just how can you take something and how can you make it a playful experience? And that's what we do. You know, Dave, you're doing a lot to bring a lot of happiness and joy in people's life from <laughs> from your work on improv everywhere to, you know, oh, this little thing about games in the classroom. So exactly. thanks yeah. so much for being on the show. Thank you, Kathleen. I look forward to it. Excellent. Well, this is Kathleen Mercury. You can find me online at KathleenMercury.com, where I put all of my teaching resources on there for free. Um, you can reach me on Twitter at, at Mercury with seven M's. And thanks so much. This has been another episode of Games in Schools and Libraries. Thank you for listening to Games in Schools and Libraries. You can find out more about Inverse Genius and the people who create the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast by visiting us at inversegenius.com, where we have other great shows such as On Board Games, On RPGs, On Minis Games, and The Room Escape Divas. If you would like to be on the show or have questions, comments, or ideas for episodes, please contact us at schoolsandlibraries at gmail.com let us know. We do have our episodes booked out for several weeks in advance, so if you have something time-sensitive, you will want to contact us as early as possible.